That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Greg, thanks for doing our reading this morning. Great passage. And McKenna, man, so beautiful. Glad I got to hear that wherever you are three times. That was amazing. If you can sing like that and you're 15 years old, please let uh, Pastor Josh know. He'd like to know that. Uh, we have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and also our denomination that have gone through a great tragedy in California, Paradise area. I'd um, like to remember them in prayer with the fires there. Um, will you join me? Lord, you tell us in your word that you are a very present help in the time of trouble. Lord, we'd like to join our prayers with those around the world that are praying for people in California, in Paradise, and other towns, Lord, that have been devastated, even destroyed by the ravaging of the fires, Lord. They've lost homes. They've lost their churches. They have lost their businesses. They've lost their vehicles. And some have lost their family members and friends. And Lord, we know there's sorrow and hurt. We also know there's opportunity for people to help, to share, to pray, to comfort, to provide. Lord, beyond our prayers, show us what part we should play in helping those who have lost so much. Lord, we're also mindful of those who are hurting from the shooting in Thousand Oaks, California. Lord, on this Veterans Day, we know that there are veterans that come back and their minds have been damaged. And we just pray for the families of those who have been hurt and lost because of the shootings there, and even the family members of the young man who clearly was damaged and hurting himself. Lord, there are those in our church also who are troubled, troubling financial situation, troubling marriage or relationship situation, troubled family situations, troubled with health crises, or whatever the situation might be that we have today and we are troubled about, we bring those troubles to you, knowing that you are a very present help in time of trouble. God, I ask you to minister to each of us according to our need. Lord, as we look into your word today, we pray that we'd be refreshed and encouraged, thinking about our future with you, that your spirit might speak truth through me, Christ might be glorified and we might be encouraged. I ask that you would speak to every single heart here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think for a moment, not out loud, but to think for a moment, how important 
is your body to you. Never think about how important your body is to you. I'd like you to think about if there is one thing that you could change in the body that you have, what would it be? Okay, two things. And don't say everything unless you really mean it. Maybe you'd like to change everything in your body. I mentioned to you that recently um, in a sermon that they'd done a survey of Americans and the two things that Americans want most is they want more money and a better body. More money and a better body. Well, you know, the problem with most Americans, which includes me, is that we put our sights too low. God wants both those things for you, too. That's why you crave them. God wants you to be rich beyond your wildest imagination. God says that in Christ, we are co-heirs of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, well, he owns absolutely everything. And someday, we are co-heirs in owning absolutely everything. That's why we crave material things. Your craving for material riches is a craving for your future. And we crave better bodies. But God's sights, God's imagination is so much bigger than our sights and our imagination. He wants to give you the perfect body beyond your imagination. And that's what we come to today as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about your body and mine. If you take out the outline there, we're going to start with the problem that the Apostle Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to pick it up to start with in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, the Apostle Paul says, Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, and that if is a certainty, you could translate it since Christ is preached, he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you, apparently some people in the church, say there is no resurrection of the dead? So here's the problem. If you're taking notes to fill in the blanks, Christians who were denying the resurrection of the body. That was the problem in the church. They were denying the resurrection of the body. And that sounds kind of odd maybe to us, but we need to remember that in that culture, that Greek culture that they were in, the pagans believed in dualism taught by Plato. Dualism is that there's the physical world and there's spiritual world and they are separate. And some people went so far as to say the evil world, uh, the physical world is evil. The physical world is evil. The spiritual world is good. And they taught that the physical world doesn't continue. The physical body doesn't continue. The only thing that continues is the spiritual world. And that's dualism. They're separated. And some people came to some conclusions talked about in 1 Corinthians 6, that they go, well, if, if the physical world doesn't matter, then I might as well just go off and live a promiscuous life and do whatever I want with my physical body because they figured the physical body didn't really matter, that matter doesn't matter. <laughs> the only thing that matters is the spiritual world. And that was influencing the church. And so the church was thinking, well, then this resurrection must be Something that's not physical, it must be something spiritual. And that was the problem, Christians who deny the resurrection of the body. But belief in a literal, physical resurrection of our physical bodies is not just some peripheral doctrine of the church that you can say, well, I don't know if I believe that, but it doesn't really matter. 
It's crucial. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Here is the importance of the resurrection. A couple things there in your notes. The first one is this. The gospel. The gospel totally depends on a bodily resurrection. The gospel totally depends on a bodily resurrection. Look what the Apostle Paul says beginning in verse 1. Verse 1, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Here it is. If you ever want to know what it is, this is it, plain and simple. Which I preached to you. This is what you heard, which also you received. You received it when I preached it. In which you also stand. By which you also are saved. You're saved by the gospel. This is the gospel that saves you. He says, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you believe the wrong things about the gospel, then your belief is vain. You're not really saved if you haven't really believed the gospel the way it's preached. So what is it? Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of minor importance. Okay, someone's listening. <laughs> he didn't say of minor importance. He says of first importance. This is not a peripheral doctrine. This is something, not something you can take or leave or that, okay, well, you have a different. This is of utmost importance. What I also received, that here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, a lot of people stop there when they preach the gospel. That isn't the gospel. That's only half of the gospel. People say, well, you need to believe that Jesus died for your sins. Well, a lot of people have died for their sins. That's what capital punishment is, dying for your sins. We're all dying for our sins. We're going to die physically for our sins. Dying for sin doesn't save you. It's not enough. It's not the whole gospel. Yes, Jesus died for your sins, but there's more to the gospel. He died for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 4, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the second half of the gospel, that he was buried and rose from the grave. And by rising from the grave, he proved that our sins had been forgiven and he'd conquered death and he was victorious over death. The gospel totally depends on a bodily resurrection. Now, sometimes Christians, as well as non-Christians, of course, but even Christians are a little confused on the Jesus thing. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus is God. He's always been God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are one God, but one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. That's called the Trinity. And you go, well, could you explain that to me? I just did. That's the best I can do. One God in three persons. That's the Trinity. So that means Jesus has always existed from eternity past. He's always been God. In fact, we're told in the New Testament that it's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, that actually created the world. You're going to, well, I thought Jesus started at Christmas. 
well, Jesus became a man and took on human flesh at what we celebrate at Christmas. That's the beginning of Jesus' human body, but he's always been God, and he's still God. He's 100% God, and now he's 100% man, and the two are in one person. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100, and that's what's called, you're going to love this, the hypostatic union. Can I have an amen? (laughs) Wow, that's pretty good. It means that he's 100% God, 100% man. Well, why did he have to do that? Well, God can't die. And so... If someone's going to die for our sins, they have to be in human flesh. So Jesus took on human flesh. But imperfect human flesh can't pay for our sins. So he had to be God so he could be a perfect human. He had to be God to be perfect. He had to be man so he could die. So we have Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. So Jesus' human body then was nailed to the cross. He was crucified. But that's not the end of his physical body. That's not the end of his humanness. His body goes on forever. Jesus is human and God forever because his body was resurrected from the dead. And Paul tells us the proof that Jesus' body died was that it was buried. And the proof that Jesus defeated death is that his physical body came out of the tomb. And when they looked at the tomb, the tomb was empty because his physical body had been resurrected. And that physical body then was touched by his disciples. And by over 500 people, they heard him and saw him. And the disciples could touch the wounds in his hands and his side and his feet. It's the same body, only different And they not only heard him speak and touched him, but he ate fish and chips with them too. Okay, at least fish. And if you don't believe this, Paul says you've believed in vain. You're not saved if you don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus' body. Verse 13. Verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You say you don't believe in the physical resurrection, talking about yourself. Well, if there's no physical resurrection, Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead physically, and there's no gospel, and you're not saved. Because the gospel includes the physical resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look more carefully at verse 13, there's something that's kind of peculiar, which I didn't notice till someone pointed it out. Maybe you saw it already. I hadn't. He talks about the resurrection of the dead. Well, that's a peculiar way to put it in English. I mean, how many kinds of resurrections are there? You know, it, it seems kind of redundant, re- resurrection of the dead. Well, of course, you're being resurrected from the dead. You're not being resurrected from life. You know, why would you say that? Well, you don't pick it up in English, but to a native Greek speaker, you catch it. Because the word dead there is the Greek word nekros. Now, you might remember that we have some English words that come from that. We have um, necromancy. If you know what that is, that's people who talk to the dead, necromancy. We have necrophilia. Now, some of these words aren't very pleasant. 
means erotic attraction to corpses, necrophilia. We have necrosis. If you've been in the medical field or you went to your doctor, they go, so sorry, you have necrosis. And it's like, that doesn't sound good. What is it? Well, it's not good. It's the decaying of your flesh. You know, that's not a very good thing. Your flesh is dying or organ is dying. And then we have hmm, necrophagia. Necrophagia is the eating of corpses. How about that? Sounds like the makings of a zombie movie. And this word necros is used 14 times in the book of 1 Corinthians. 14 times. But all 14 times are in this one chapter. And the word necros to a Greek speaker doesn't mean dead. It means corpse. It means carcass. Well, that's pretty gross. I know. And the word resurrection of the corpse, the word resurrection in Greek, we get the girl's name Anastasia from it. Anastasis is a Greek word. It means resurrection. It comes from two Greek words. It literally means to stand up. So the resurrection of the dead literally says the standing up of corpses. You see, the Corinthians are saying, we don't believe in the resurrection. And it's like, well, what kind of resurrection don't you believe in? We don't believe in standing up corpses. We don't believe in the zombie apocalypse. Well, I don't believe in that either. You know, have you ever had somebody accuse you of something? Well, I don't think you should do this. I don't think you should have said that. And you go, well, I didn't do that and didn't say that. I don't think I should do that or say that either. Young man went to... uh, his professor, he was going to Bible college, and he was kind of disturbed, and he went to his professor and sat down with them, and, and the professor said, what's on your mind? And this young man said, I don't think I believe in God anymore. The professor was a wise, kind man, and he looked at the young man kindly and said, tell me the kind of God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in him either. <laughs> you see, we know that the Corinthians were messed up with their idea of what resurrection was and then they said I don't believe in that kind of resurrection because of what Paul says in verses 35 and 36 in verse 35 he says but someone will say how are the corpses raised that's the word corpse when you see dead it's corpse how are the corpses raised and with what kind of body do they come they're going this sounds kind of scary to us how do I know well look what Paul says you fool you know, it's, it's, now, lest you judge Paul too harshly, there are two Greek words for fool. There's the one, marone. I think we get an English word from that. Mar- you marone, you moron, that means fool. That's a really harsh one. This is the less harsh fool. So he could have been harsher. He's saying, you fool, you're foolish. That which you sow does not come to life until it dies, and that which you sow, you not sow the body which is to be. He's saying, come on, they're not corpses that get raised. It's not coming up as a corpse. You got this thing all wrong, you fools. (laughs) He says, but you sow a bare grain perhaps of wheat or of something else. Verse 42, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the corpse. It is sown a perishable body. It's a corpse, but it's raised imperishable. It's not raised a corpse. It is sown in dishonor. 
It's ugly. It's decaying. It's smelly. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And someone goes, oh, see, it's not really a a body. It's spiritual. C.S. Lewis pointed out well. He goes, what's more important, a noun or an adjective? Noun. What's the noun? Body. Spiritual is the adjective describing what kind of body. You get a body, it's a spiritual body. What's it look like? Well, when we see him, we'll be like him. So it's a little bit or a lot like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. We have a self-revealing God. We wouldn't know anything about God unless he revealed himself. And God reveals himself in two major ways. One is what we call special revelation. That's scriptures. That's a vision. That's a dream. That's a word. It's very special, specific. But God also reveals himself in, in what is called natural revelation, nature, creation, that you can learn about God by looking around you. You see, God loves physical things. Physical things bring God pleasure. Everything physical originated with God. And spiritual truth has existed since eternity past. And so when God was creating, he created spiritual truths in a physical form so we could see them. When God was creating during the six literal days of creation, after every day, he looked at what he created and he said what? This is good. Matter's not evil. It's good. And at the end of all six days, he looked at all the physical creation that he made and he said it is very good. Very good. Matter matters to God. He created it for his good pleasure. And God built spiritual truths into the physical creation. Look what it says in Romans 1, 19 and 20, or just listen if you don't uh, want to turn there. Romans 1, 19. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, since he made everything, since creation, his invisible, invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. The invisible has been seen, being understood through that what has been made. The invisible made visible. Spiritual truths revealed through the physical. And that's why you and I should be constantly pointing out to children when they say that's a beautiful flower, you say that beautiful flower reminds us of how beautiful God is. Those mountains are majestic. Well, that's because God is majestic. Those, I can't count the stars. They're infinite. Because God is infinite. This is not a coincidence. God put it everywhere in creation. And, you know, why do we have to sow a seed to get our food and to get flowers and things? God could have just put whole foods, you know, all around the world and kept them stocked. He didn't do that. 
because there's a spiritual lesson in every seed that is buried and, quote, dies, unquote, and comes to life. That's the resurrection. That's why springtime, it's a resurrection every, every springtime in places other than Hawaii, I guess. You know, it's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you, Sonny. Sonny has never seen, seen springtime. <laughs> God's fingerprints are everywhere. And he wants us to understand our future resurrection. And that anthurium plant I showed to you is a reminder of our future resurrection. When your dead body, your stinking corpse, you're going, you're being too graphic. Well, that's what Paul's saying here. Your stinking corpse, it's rotted, it's perishing, and it's buried, and it comes to life. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And it would take a miracle for that to happen. And that miracle is called the resurrection. You see, the gospel totally depends on a bodily resurrection, but also your future totally depends on a bodily resurrection. Your future totally depends on a bodily resurrection. I think all of us are concerned about the future. You start off being concerned about what school you're going to go to or if you're going to go to school. or You get concerned about the future, what job you're going to take, what career path. You get concerned about who you're going to marry, and then you get concerned about, are we ever going to stop having kids? You know. And then you get concerned about how you're going to pay for them to go to college, and then you move to Hawaii, and you get concerned about how can we afford to even live in Hawaii? And then you get concerned about retirement. Can I afford retirement? And then you look at how health care is changing. You wonder, can I afford health care when I get older? And what about hospice or, you know, retirement home first? And, you know, how's that all going to work? And then where am I going to go when I die? That's the most important future to be worried about. Well, it often comes as a complete surprise, even to the most mature Christian, that your future is physical. That there's a physical aspect to your future. For some reason, we Christians, influenced by, I don't know, poorly educated people or the world around us, have this idea that we become some kind of spirit out there floating around on a cloud forever up in heaven, and that doesn't sound very fun. I, I love the Far Side cartoon. It's got a picture. It's got a guy in a white robe, and he's sitting on a, a cloud with a harp, and he goes, I should have brought a book. <laughs> That's not our future. Your future eternal home as a true believer is on the earth. It's on the earth. Now, those of you who have been here long enough to hear me teach on this are not quite as shocked as the rest of the people are going, oh, man, this pastor is a heretic. Well, let me show you the Apostle John's revelation in chapter 21 and what the Scripture says. He's on the Isle of Potmos. He's been exiled there. It's a Greek island. He's, he's exiled there. And he has a vision from God, and he's told to record your future. You've read it, but maybe you didn't pay attention. Revelation 21.1. John says, 21.1, And I saw a new heaven and a new, what? Earth. Now, Greek, again, has two words for new. One is new in time. One's new in quality. This is the word new in quality. You're going, what do, you mean? what do you mean a new heaven? Well, when you die and fly away, you go to the old heaven right now. You go to heaven, but that heaven's going to change. 
and you live on the old earth, but this earth is going to change. It's going to be a new earth. And notice, you say, are you sure? Well, keep reading. For the first heaven, that's where you would go now if you die, and the first earth have passed away. They're gone. They're going to change. And there is no longer any sea. We'll skip that part. Okay, I don't like that part. And, no, side note, a couple things. One, the sea is not an ocean. I lived in Greece on the Mediterranean Sea, and people visit me and say, you want to go to the ocean? I go, it's too far away. What do you mean? It's right there. I go, that's not an ocean, that's a sea. Okay, that's one thing. But the other thing is, (laughs) Jews saw the sea as something evil. They weren't mariners. They didn't feel safe at sea. So the sea became a metaphor for what is evil and dangerous. You know, for us who can travel the seas, seven seas is maybe not so much, but for them. So it could be a metaphor here. There's no longer any evil. There's no longer any dangerous place. It wouldn't be heaven on earth without surf, right, Pastor Josh? And then look what he says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, new in quality. It's a city. What's a city? Well, unless he's trying to deceive us, a city means it has buildings, it has roads, it has Starbucks. That's a city. (laughs) It's physical. And he says, I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is God's throne. Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, is among men. And he shall dwell among them. He comes to dwell with us. We don't go to dwell with him forever. And they shall be his peoples, and God himself shall be among them. Heaven comes down to earth. He saw it happen. The new Jerusalem came out of heaven to earth. It's on earth. A very physical place. A physical city. And he goes on to tell us that this one city is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles tall. He continues to describe the city with very physical aspects and the construction materials of precious stones and gold. And then he says in verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city, a physical place, city, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations, there are nations. How about that? There are different nations. So we have borders, we have languages, we have cultures, shall walk by its light. They're walking. They're not floating. It's physical. And the kings of the earth shall bring the glory into it. Unless he's trying to deceive us, he describes it as a city and nations and earth, all physical things that we can relate to. I can't relate to being a spirit that floats around up in space. And neither can you. We were made to live on the earth. Adam and Eve were created and put on a perfect earth. God came to dwell with them when they were in paradise. And that's our future. It's going to happen again. And we're going to have such an amazing physical body. Verse 4 tells us of Revelation 21, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. They still have eyes. It's physical. 
There shall no longer be any death. That body can't die. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Those things have passed away. Yes, praise God. Now back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 5-0, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. He says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We've just described the kingdom of God. He says you can't go there if you have flesh and blood. Well, what's that mean? Well, if you still have blood, you're still alive in this body. When your blood quits flowing, you're not alive. And he said you can't go to the kingdom of God in the body that you have, even if it's still alive when Jesus Christ comes. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery, verse 51. A mystery is something that was not revealed earlier, but now is being revealed to us. We shall not all sleep, and by sleep he means die. But as Christians, we know that's not the end, so we call it sleep, like we're gonna, our body's going to be awakened. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. So if you have a corpse, the corpse will be raised imperishable. And he says, we shall be changed. If you haven't died yet, if you still have flesh and blood, you still have to be changed because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. So if we're alive at the resurrection, we don't have to die, but we still have to be changed. So whether you're a corpse or whether you've got flesh and blood, you're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Verse 53, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. And that's a miracle. We are not resuscitated corpses. We are not walking zombies. We get a new and beautiful, glorified, physical body. Your future totally depends on a bodily resurrection. But what about now? What are you to be doing in the meantime as you're waiting for your imperishable body? Imperishable body. What are you supposed to be doing in your perishable body? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 58, he tells us what to do while we're waiting for the resurrection. Verse 58. Therefore, because of the resurrection that's to come, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In your notes there, the blanks to fill in, glorify. Glorify God in your body while waiting for your body to be glorified. Glorify God in your body now while you're waiting for this body to be glorified. I don't know if you noticed, but the Apostle Paul began this chapter by talking about how your belief is vain if you don't believe in the resurrection. And he tells us our labor is not in vain when we're laboring for the future resurrection. You see, sometimes we get confused and we, we want all our praises and rewards and attaboys in this life. And we feel like, oh God, I did all this, I served you, and look what I got. Well, this isn't where we get our rewards. Who wants rewards now? They're going to perish. He wants to give us rewards that last forever. So we get our rewards after the resurrection. 
The Apostle Paul got rewarded in this life with a painful imprisonment and a beheading. The Apostle Peter got rewarded in this life by being crucified upside down. The Apostle John got rewarded in this life, according to tradition, was boiled alive in oil and survived. And so was exiled to the island of Patmos. They didn't get their reward in this life. This life was hard and difficult. And that's why Paul writes in verse 19 of this same chapter, verse 19, if we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. He goes, it's been a horribly difficult life as a Christian. But we live for what happens after the resurrection. And that's why he concludes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because your toil is not in vain. You're going to be rewarded. And those rewards last forever because there is a bodily resurrection. Will you pray with me? I'd ask you to bow your head so you can have a private moment, but would you still listen? Have you believed the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the grave, conquering death. Have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you? It's not a matter of just knowing it. It's a matter of appropriating it yourself with the hands of faith, saying, Lord, I believe, I trust you. Come into my life and save me. If you've never done that, cry out to him now. Ask him to save you, and he will. He loves you beyond your wildest dreams and wants to spend eternity with you. Lord, we thank you that you speak truth to us. We thank you that you've made it clear how we can live forever with you. Lord, it's a beautiful future. Thanks for giving us a glimpse of it today. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's stand and, and let's sing the Lord and when we talk about flying away we fly away to the temporary heaven <laughs> but someday our body gets resurrected and we reign forever with him on the new heavens and the new earth
so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. Oh, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. you guys that um, if you want if you want to pray with pray with one of us after this the service here in the, this corner by the piano we'll be ready waiting for you to pray with pray with you for any requests you might have anything you might be going through closing our service I just I'm gonna go ahead and just use the last verse in this chapter first Corinthians 15:58. what a wonderful verse my brothers and sisters May your faith be steadfast, immovable. May you abound in the work of our Lord. And may you know that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
God bless. Have a great Sunday.